0: The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at Thank you for listening and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.
1: Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about vision puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of the wisdom in promoting self-made religions and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God.
0: The uh, very first home that I purchased as a young man um, was previously owned for 40 years by a kind, older gentleman named Robert and his wife. And Robert fancied himself to be something of a do-it-yourselfer. And Robert's work was just good enough that outwardly everything looked fine. but um, we discovered over and over again to our dismay and our financial loss, that his work in fact was not sound. I remember one occasion in per- one occasion in particular, I went to simply install like a20 dollar Bath towel rod on the bathroom wall, only to discover that the bathroom wall, in fact, was not actually a wall at all. It wasn't made of drywall, it was simply a piece of really flimsy quarter inch paneling that had been tacked up and then covered with textured paint to hide its true identity. And so, instead of installing a simple bath rod, I I ended up removing what was supposed to be the wall, only to discover that behind the wall there wasn't your typical supporting structure of two by four studs. There was just a couple pieces of leftover lumber nailed in place to hold the fake wall up and After I removed that, I noticed the wires for the bathroom's lights hanging down in the space behind the wall and not connected, of course, in an electrical box, but just sort of loosely taped together. And so you see where this is heading. Eventually, what was supposed to be a $20 bathroom towel installation turned into completely ripping out and replacing the whole bathroom at the cost of several thousand dollars. So, Uh, In fact, this became such a common experience that our family actually developed a a name for uh, Robert's do-it-yourself projects. We referred to them as Bob Jobs. (laughs) And uh, so every now and then, you know, my wife would call from the kitchen, Honey, um, I think we got another Bob Job. And you go to see how much this one was going to cost us to fix. Um, That is actually a kind of picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying about the false teachers who are infiltrating the church in Colossae and seeking to lead the Christians there away from their faith in Jesus Christ. They are advocating a kind of do-it-yourself religion that is not sound. So you can see that uh, in verse 23, the Apostle Paul refers to their their teaching as self-made religion. What they are teaching is really just kind of a conglomeration of their own ideas and speculations about God and how we should live in relationship with Him. Uh, It is uh, based on human precepts and teachings, as he says in verse 22, rather than being based on the sure revelation of God himself through his son Jesus Christ and through the teaching of the apostles that Jesus himself chose and upon which the church is built throughout the ages. That revelation that we now have in the pages of Holy Scripture. And this is actually the first Problem. The first thing that Paul points out about the false teachers is that what they teach is their own ideas rather than the sure foundation of God's revelation of himself. Now last week, um, you'll remember we looked at verses 8 through 15 and we saw there that Paul was wanting to remind the Colossians and us of why Jesus Christ alone is worthy of being called Lord of why Jesus alone is worthy for us to acknowledge that He is the one whom God has appointed to rule over all creation on His behalf. That Jesus alone is the one that God has appointed to carry out His great plan to redeem and renew all things. And therefore, Jesus alone is the one we should trust for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus alone is the one that we should receive into our lives as our Lord, and we should seek to acknowledge His Lordship each day as we ask ourselves, since Jesus is my Lord, how would, I, how would He want me to, to live in this area of my life? Or how would Jesus want me to go about this particular activity that I am engaged in? And we saw in those verses that Paul reminded us that that Jesus is worthy because in Jesus Christ and through our relationship with him as our Lord, we experience the fullness of life in relationship with God and each other in God's world. We saw specifically that in Jesus we have the fullness of knowing God. In Jesus we experience the fullness of a a new heart by the Spirit's work that is devoted to God. And in Jesus, we experience the fullness of the forgiveness of our sins by God. And so now then, this week, in verses 16 to 23, somewhat difficult passage, but here now, Paul at last turns his attention specifically to the false teachers and the do-it-yourself religion that they are advocating he wants to remind the Colossians and us, as he said back in verse 8, of why we should not let anyone take us captive through any philosophy or worldview or religion or system of thought that says somehow Jesus is not enough. And in this passage, Paul gives us at least three good reasons why the do it yourself religion that's being advocated by these false teachers. Is not sound. So let's look at those three reasons briefly together. The first reason that Paul says the do it yourself religion of these false teachers is not sound is that it destroys our freedom in Christ. Okay? So notice two times in this short passage, Paul tells you not to let anyone else pass judgment on you. Right? So in In verse 16, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. And then again in verse 18, he says, as Christians, we should not let anyone disqualify you. That second word, disqualify, is a word that in the ancient world referred to an umpire who would rule you out because of some infraction of the rules. Now, when Paul says that as Christians we ought not let anyone disqualify us, we ought not let anyone judge us, he's not talking simply about the word judge. He's not talking about judging simply in the sense of forming an opinion about the beliefs and practices of another person or making a judgment as to whether their beliefs and practices are right or wrong or e- even sharing our opinion with another person about whether their practices or beliefs might be right and wrong. Paul, when he talks about judging here, is speaking in a much narrower sense of condemning. Okay, He's saying, let no one condemn you. Let no one pass judgment on you, as is translated in verse 16. Let no one disqualify you in that sense. He's talking about judging in the sense of declaring that someone is out of fellowship with God And is not part of the people of God because of certain beliefs or practices. That is precisely what the false teachers were doing. They were saying to the Colossians, even though they have faith in Jesus Christ even though they've received Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life, they were passing judgment on them. They were saying they were not in fellowship with God. They were not yet part of the people of God because the Colossians were not following the, the, the rules and the rituals that were being advocated by these false teachers. They were saying that faith in Jesus alone was not enough. Something else was necessary to be right with God and to know that you are among his people. And notice um, Paul's basic response to this condemnation, to this passing judgment upon the church in Colossae, is to argue that if we allow someone to pass judgment on us in that sense, as followers of Jesus, we've really failed to understand the significance of his lordship, the great blessing of freedom that we have in Christ. Notice in um, verse 16, Paul uses that word, therefore, to connect the exhortation to let no one pass judgment on you with everything that he said in verses 8 through 15, about the lordship of Jesus. In other words, what he's saying in verse 16 is because you have received Christ Jesus as your Lord, therefore let no one pass judgment on you. Paul's reminding the Colossians and us that on the last day, we're not going to stand before these false teachers or any other teachers or any other person to give an account of what we have believed and what we have done. Now on the last day, we're going to stand before one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is to him alone that we will give an account for how we have lived. And so on the last day, it's not really going to matter ultimately what these false teachers say the Colossians should have believed and what they should have done. It's only going to matter what Jesus says we should believe and what we should do. Because he alone is the Lord which, incidentally, is why as a, as a preacher in the church, what I do as much as possible is just to explain what is contained in this Word, because it's the teaching of Jesus. I'm not up here to explain my own clever ideas and insights into your lives. My job is to explain Jesus' teaching, because at the last day, you're not going to give an account to me. You're not going to have to explain to me what you've believed and how you've lived. You only give an account to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing we have to understand. The fact that we only give an account to Jesus is a glorious and beautiful thing. Because the one to whom we are giving an account, as Paul has just explained in the passage we looked at last week, the one who will be judged is the one who took all of our sins and all of our shortcomings to the cross. And there wiped clean the record of all of our debt. To God. That's the one that we'll give an account to. The one that we'll give an account to is the one that we see in the Gospels again and again is so kind and forgiving to to men and women who are caught in sin and are seeking deliverance from Him. It's the one who's so unamazing, uh, uh, so unbelievably patient with his disciples, despite the knuckle-headed things that they do over and over again, the bone-headed things that I do over and over again. That's the kind of Lord, that's the kind of judge that we have. And so you see, the fact that we call him Lord means we have freedom from any fear that there will be condemnation for us on the last day. Because he's paid the penalty for it all at the cross. The fact that we call him Lord means that we are free from the slavery to the opinions and judgments of others. That we're free from the tyranny of always trying to live our lives in such a way as to please this or that other person. No, there's only one person that we ultimately have to please. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this Wonderful truth in a lot of places in his writings, actually. One of the more interesting ones that I came across recently was in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 3, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Paul's basically saying, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really care if you Corinthians pass judgment on me or think lowly of me. Why? Well, as he says in the next verse, it is the Lord Jesus who judges me. Then Paul says something really profound and remarkable. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. He's saying he doesn't give too much weight to his own fallen conscience, which so often is taken captive by the devil, right, and becomes an a instrument for the constant accusation that we are not enough, that we're inadequate, that we're not worthy. Paul says, I don't even give too much credence to my own fallen conscience because all that matters is the Lord Jesus and what he thinks of me. And what is true of us through faith in Jesus? What is true actually is that what the father said to Jesus at his baptism is also what he says to each of us through faith in Jesus. You are my beloved son or daughter. In you, I am well pleased. And so you just see how what Paul is saying Once we grasp the truth of what it means that Jesus is our judge and that Jesus is incredibly gracious and merciful and forgiving, it frees us from the slavery of having anyone else as our judge, anyone else that we're ultimately worried about giving an account to. It gives us freedom in Christ. And Paul is saying to the Colossians, Don't let these other false teachers who are condemning you deprive you of the glorious freedom that you have because Jesus is your Lord. Now, a couple, just quick clarifications about that. Our freedom in Christ... The fact that we are free from the fear of any condemnation on the last day. The fact that we are free from slavery to the opinions and and judgments of other people. That does not mean, of course, that we are free just to do whatever we want. Doesn't mean that we're, certainly doesn't mean we're free to sin. No, the point is that Jesus is our Lord. We're freed from slavery to our to the devil, and to the the condemnation of others, and to their harsh opinions, where we're free from all that, in order to serve, and to love, and to live for Jesus. And as the Lord, Jesus makes this very plain again and again in the Gospels. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? Or if you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? The point is not that we have no Lord, The point is that we have a new Lord, and His Lordship is blessed and wonderful because He is gracious and patient and forgiving and kind. And so to do His will is to do what is best for us, you see. And so it is a delight for us to say, I live for the Lord. He is the one, and He alone to whom I must give an account. The other clarification is the fact that we're free in Christ from any fear of condemnation or from slavery to the opinions and judgments of others does not mean that we cannot instruct and challenge and even rebuke one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible plainly encourages us to do that in many places. But the fact that Jesus is our Lord and he alone is Lord should mean that there's always a great amount of humility and willingness to be corrected as we go about that work, right? It means that we always have the perspective that when I come to Travis and I'm out of love saying, Brother, I'm concerned about this, that I'm coming as one servant to another servant in love, hoping to help one another to discern the Master's will, right? And just as a practical um, help on that last point, sometimes just the way we speak, the words we use can be very helpful in that process. Um, My wife, Tyna and I have discovered in our marriage that the little phrase, I may be mistaken, but, (laughs) can be very helpful (laughs) when we're disagreeing about things, right? So the other day, Tyna and I we're uh, taking a walk together in St. Paul, and as we were walking along, Tina said, Oh, look, it's a pickleball court. And I immediately replied, That's not a pickleball court, that's a tennis court. To which Tina said, Why are you always so quick to disagree with me and point out the way that I'm wrong? To which I didn't say, but I was thinking, well, because I'm right. <laughs> as it turned out, it was a pickleball court. <laughs> It was humbling, of course. Um, But the point is, if perhaps I had said, I may be mistaken, babe, but I think that's a tennis court, probably that whole conversation would have gone much better. And when it actually proved that I was mistaken, it would have been a lot less humbling for me to acknowledge, yeah, I guess you were right. After all, and in the same way, perhaps when we are seeking to instruct one another or to correct one another, it might be good for us to approach each other with that same humility and say, "Brother, I, I, I may be mistaken, but it seems to me the Lord would have us to do this." Or, I, I might be wrong, but I just wonder if the Lord's will in this issue would be this. It indicates an affirmation that we're all servants of the one Master. And we're in humility and love, trying to help one another to discern His will. So this is the first, um, the first point that Paul is making here. Uh, the first thing that's uh, unsound about this do-it-yourself religion is that it it deprives us, it destroys the freedom that we have in Christ. Here's the second thing that Paul says, uh, the do-it-yourself religion of these false teachers is unsound because it um, emphasizes rule-keeping over relationship with Christ. So notice Paul says in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So I think these verses show that um, while the false teachers were claiming to be Christians, they undoubtedly come from a Jewish background, right? So you're probably aware that in the Old Testament, Jewish people were prohibited from eating certain foods, they were not kosher, as we say. And in, um, in Paul's day throughout the Roman Empire, many Jews also abstained entirely from all meat and from drinking wine, though that wasn't prohibited in the Old Testament. But they, they chose to abstain from meat and wine because of the fear that the meat and the wine that was sold in the marketplaces may have been dedicated to a pagan god as part of some religious festival, which in fact was a common practice. And, and then of course... The, uh, the reference to festivals and new moons and Sabbaths is the standard Old Testament way of referring to the annual, monthly, and weekly religious celebrations that made up the Jewish calendar. If you're curious about that, in Ezekiel forty five seventeen, we read, It shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel. So apparently what what the false teachers were saying, part of what they were teaching, is that um, they were were passing judgment on these Gentile, on these non-Jewish believers in Jesus in Colossae because they were not following all these rules and regulations. They were saying that these Christians in Colossae were actually not yet right with God in fellowship with him. They were not yet part of God's people because if they wanted to be completely acceptable to God, completely part of God's people, they also had to become Jewish. They had to follow the, all of the rules and rituals that were spelled out in the Old Testament law of Moses in addition to believing in Jesus. To believe in Jesus alone is not enough. And the Apostle Paul's response to that teaching in this passage is that this is a a failure to understand the significance of the coming of the Christ. So Paul is saying the whole religion of the Old Testament was designed by God to point the way to Jesus and to prepare for Jesus the Messiah's coming But now that he has come, we don't continue to observe all of the rules and rituals of the old way that pointed to him. And Paul's example of that, his illustration for that teaching is this powerful example about a person casting a shadow as they walk along. So you imagine a person in a city and they're they're walking and they, they cast a shadow ahead of them and someone around the corner can see the shadow coming. And from the shadow, they know that a person is coming. They may be able to tell something about that person, whether it's a man or a woman or how large that they are. But when the person comes around the corner and they encounter the person themselves, they don't continue to stare at the shadow. Right? And Paul is saying... For these teachers to continue to emphasize the outdated rules and regulations of the Old Testament religion is to focus on the shadow when the person of Christ is right here in front of us. You see. And this is the problem with their suggestion that Jesus is not enough. Now again important point of clarification. Of course, it's true that in the New Testament and in the Christian religion, we also have rules and rituals. We've already seen that Jesus is our Lord, commands us many things. Some of the commands he gives us, like the Ten Commandments and the command to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God with all your heart, actually come from the Old Testament. Jesus gives us rituals. We just observed one. Baptism, we're going to observe another one in a few minutes, the Lord's Supper. We have a a day that's not the same as the Jewish Sabbath, but we have a Lord's Day on Sunday where we do certain things. We gather for worship and to study God's Word together, to rest from our work. And uh, these uh, rituals and these rules are part of the Christian religion. But you see, the point is it makes all the difference in the world whether we're keeping the rules out of some attempt to to gain acceptance with God, or whether we're keeping the rules uh, as an expression of the relationship that we already have with God through faith in Jesus. Whether we're keeping the rules because more and more they express who we actually are from the heart, what we actually think and what we actually want, because of the work of God's Spirit within us through faith in Jesus. You know, earlier, uh, for example, Anna Gleason was playing the piano. Um, Anna was keeping all of the rules, the musical rules, about keys and chords and timing, and I don't know any of that. I'm not a musician. There's a lot of rules that she was keeping, but Anna did not come to the piano this morning to keep rules. She came to the piano to make music. And of course, as she's learned to play the piano, the rules became part of her so that she's not focused on rule keeping. She's focused on making music. But in the making of music, of course, the rules are fulfilled. In the same way as we live with Christ and His Spirit works in us, we more and more become the men and women God wants us to be. We live lives that are pleasing to Him. And we Live according to God's rules because of our relationship with Jesus, but we're not trying to keep rules in order to make ourselves acceptable in His sight. So, this is the second problem with the false teachers is that their do it yourself religion emphasizes rule keeping over relationship with Christ. And then here's the third. That Paul mentions, the do-it-yourself religion of the false teachers prioritizes extraordinary spiritual experiences over the ordinary life and community with God's people. Verse 18, he says, "...let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind." And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Now again, these verses actually show us once again that these false teachers have a Jewish background. In some of the Jewish sects of Paul's day... Uh, it was common for them to be very fascinated with speculation about angels and heavenly beings and to engage in harsh treatment of the body in order to induce visions of the heavenly realms. And uh, apparently these false teachers were insisting on those extraordinary spiritual experiences as an essential part of the Christian life. They were saying, if you're not having these kind of experiences, you're not really experiencing fullness of life with God. You're not really uh, in relationship with him and part of his people in the way that you should be. Of course, we can see um, from Paul's response that he doesn't think too highly about that argument. He says they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. Now, here's what I find interesting about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes in great detail his own extraordinary experience of having a vision of the heavenly realms. So notice Paul did not find it necessary to deny that extraordinary spiritual experiences happen. We don't need to deny that they may happen. Paul's point is that such extraordinary experiences are not the essence of our life in Christ. They are not the basis of our growth to spiritual maturity. What Paul suggests is the basis of growing to maturity as a follower of Christ is to be part of the body, all of whom are connected to the head, acknowledging Jesus as the Lord and as the body functions as each member serves the body and helps one another to be built up by serving the Lord in different ways, we grow, all of us grow in our relationship with Christ as God gives growth. And if we want to ask, well, what does that ordinary life of the body of the Christian community look like? We have lots of examples in the pages of the New Testament. Probably the most obvious one is the description that's given to the very first church in acts chapter 2 after the day of pentecost in acts chapter 2 verse 42 we read this about the ordinary life of the christian community they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers they weren't obsessed with unusual spiritual experiences those may come they may go Be a wonderful experience when they happen, but what they devoted themselves to was the teaching of the apostles, prayer, the sacraments, and the fellowship in the life of the Christian community. This is what's essential to our growth as followers of Jesus Christ. So, three reasons the false teachers are advocating a do it yourself religion that's unsound they destroy our freedom in Christ. They emphasize rule-keeping over relationship with Christ. They prioritize extraordinary spiritual experiences over the ordinary life of the Christian community. At the end of the day, the essence of what Paul is saying, though, is simply this, that Jesus is enough. There's a a story about one of the founding professors of the seminary that I I, I attended, Uh, He lived to be quite old, and uh, near the very end of his life, in his late 90s, he was at a, a faculty meeting, and the younger faculty were arguing and debating over some issue that they believed to be very important. And this older founding professor began to speak to the issue, and as he spoke, it was obvious from the look on his face that he became confused. And then he simply said this, Um... Don't remember what I was going to say, but I know that I love Jesus. (laughs) And I always think, if I live long enough to be old and confused, I hope that's what comes out of my mouth. (laughs) But that story also reminds me that at the end of the day, all we have is Jesus. But it also reminds us that at the end of the day, all we need is Jesus. So, Do you have Jesus? Is he your Lord? Are you trusting him for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you seeking to live each day in a way that would reflect the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord? If so, know this. There is no condemnation, no judgment for you. In Christ, you have all that you need. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening and please contact us at info@citylifetc.org at if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.